I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Leslie Ford, founder of Mom's Hierarchy of Needs, discusses how to prioritize self-care and personal relationships while parenting and working. Leslie is a veteran researcher who uses her skills to help companies learn about what parents, and especially women, want and need. Through her expertise, she realized that moms have a different set of priorities, and they need help to define and organize themselves for optimal life, family, and work success. Hello, everybody in the Second Shift community. I'm so excited to welcome a friend, Leslie Ford, who has a brilliant company called Mom's Hierarchy of Needs. And she's created a framework for us to learn how to prioritize relationships, self-care, all the things that we try to balance and do so unsuccessfully as working women and mothers. And Leslie spent the last 20 plus years as a brand marketer and a market researcher and had a brilliant career and then faced her own personal burnout in the working world. And that inspired her to take the skills that she had as uh, a researcher and to apply them to how this affected her and to use that framework to help other women who were in a similar position. And then she created this entire other business off of it that's been a wild success And we spoke, we're in a women's group together and we had a conversation and I realized that she was a perfect person to talk to the second shift. And we're all struggling right now with kids and burnout and work and family and figuring out how to be self-actualized and have somebody else tell us how to do this seems like a really good way to spend an hour. So we're going to record this. If you have questions, put it in the Q&A. If we don't get to them and you have to go, uh, we'll get them at the end. This will live on the blog and be sent out as we always do in our newsletter at the end of the month. Grateful to you, Leslie, for joining us and really thankful that we have made it through 2021 and we're almost done and we all did it. So it's another year down. This is one has been a doozy and Congratulations to everybody for making it this far. Uh, Leslie, tell us your story. I know you have a presentation. I'll let you run with it. You can do a much better job explaining your own personal journey and mom's hierarchy of needs, how it was created and what it means. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. This topic, all of these topics are very close to me. And I feel that I'm still living it and walking this walk with everyone who's part of this of this session because it's it's an ongoing iterative process to make the space for the types of things that help to feed your well-being while juggling all the other things right to your to your point so i'll share a little bit about how how this all started as you alluded to i completely burned out when I returned to work after my second child was born. I found myself really surprised by it. Even though returning to work with my first, I think had a few bumps here and there, it was completely different with my second. I had taken on a pretty large promotion while I was pregnant. And at the time, 
the general manager of our organization, who was my boss, said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We've got your back. I expressed some concerns that I wouldn't have a lot of time to get to know my team, that it was kind of a lot to juggle when I was about to go out on maternity leave. But, you know, he, I was kind of told everything will be great. You know, don't worry about it. We're, we've got you. Within two weeks of coming back, he gave me a call at home and said, you know what? A couple things have changed here at the organization. That senior person, your rock star, who's been kind of leading one of your groups, she's going into a different department. And by the way, we can't backfill her because now we're trying to demonstrate profitability. And also those open recs that you had that we were planning to hire some more people into your team, we had to close them again, because we're trying to demonstrate profitability. And within probably about three months of that, when I had come back and I was kind of in the rhythm, trying to reestablish my rhythm at work, I had three other people go out on FMLA leave. It was completely unplanned, all random reasons. And so I found that, you know, I came back into a job where I had a new baby. I was sleeping in one hour increments. And I had a toddler to take care of. I was suddenly short-staffed and the organizational strategy had changed from focusing on top-line revenue to really prioritizing bottom-line profitability. And it was an entirely different way to grow. And I was responsible for a marketing team and a business development team, which was really at the heart of the engine to help the company grow profitability. So I was being asked to bring my most strategic, clear-thinking self, and it's the type of work that I absolutely love to do, but I was being asked to do it in an entirely different way without a sufficient team. So I would find myself at night just you know, typing away, typing away on the computer, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning, three in the morning. I'd put the pillow next to the co-sleeper to shield the baby from the glow and try to keep her from waking up. And there were a lot of days where I would drive all the way to the office, which was about an hour away, and I'd either forget how I got there, which happened quite a bit, or I would get all the way there, like race through the garage, run all the way up to, like I usually tried to take the stairs because I was trying to you know, move a lot. I would get up the stairs and then realize that I'd left the breast pump at home. And I would have to drive all the way back. And it was the first time in my life where people who didn't know me would stop me and say, you don't look well. You know, are you okay? And there was one conversation with a colleague in her office where she also noted that I did not look well and, and talked to me about <laughs> the, the unsung benefits of a night nurse <laughs> and hiring one. <laughs> Uh, which I did do for one night. And it was like the best night ever, but I, it was only for one night. And, you know, I found myself just feeling like a tired, crazy zombie person. I was becoming more and more depleted. It was harder and harder to bring any energy to the job. And, you know, my kids needed me and I was exhausted. So it just became unsustainable. It was a job that I once really loved. And I was a senior leader there. And, you know, in hindsight, there was help that I could have asked for that I didn't ask for. And I think like many of us, when faced with this challenge, 
I thought the answer must be to just work harder. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I took this step that a lot of a lot of mothers end up taking that I never predicted I would I would take in my career. I downshifted. I went from managing two large teams and being in this role that was demanding kind of every ounce of energy that I had to going to a much larger company. Instead of two teams, I was managing one direct report. I negotiated a four-day work week. And it still took me over two years to recover from burnout and to recover from that time. And during the conversation that I had, this was around that mark where I had just been kind of like my kids started, (laughs) my youngest started sleeping through the night at 14 months. So I was feeling like a human again. And a founder who happens to be a dad of three as well had asked me to do some advisory work for his mental health startup and just to kind of help them with a, think a little bit about go-to-market strategy. So in our first conversation, he said, well, you know, tell me about moms because we talked about moms as a potential entry point to the market. And he said, why are they so stressed? And of course, I was like, all right, <laughs> how much time do you have? Uh, and I just, it was very tongue in cheek. I said, you know, there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then there's mom's hierarchy of needs. And as soon as I said it, it's like I felt it. I was just fascinated with the idea of it. I drew it on a little piece of paper, what is now this. And that night I turned it into a PowerPoint. And I was wondering how would other moms define theirs? Would it look like mine? Would it be different? And about 150 moms later, it evolved. That was my very first research study into what it looks like now. So what's interesting about drawing it was by recognizing that everything I was prioritizing, everything at the bottom of the hierarchy, our children's well-being and their milestones and their health and then all the things that we have in the household that we're responsible for. And then if you look at our professional roles, like all of those things that I was prioritizing, they're never done. And I was trying to do the impossible because everything that's way up at the top where everything that we do for our mental, physical, and emotional health, the reason that we never do it is because everything at the bottom is never done. And before you have kids, you know, I think like many of us, you will prioritize getting everything done And then you give yourself permission to, you know, call that friend or go for that workout or, you know, pursue that PhD program, whatever it is that you want to do. So when I saw that I was trying to do the impossible, that there was no done, there was no end of the inbox, end of the rainbow, end of the housework, I got very ruthless about my time and making space for everything that fueled me. And it was in small increments. It was in small bursts. There were lots of days where I would be making dinner at you know, nine o'clock at night. <laughs> there were lots of days where I'd be running, but running with the running stroller through the rain <laughs> uh, with my child covered up. There were lots of iterations, but this journey to reclaim some space for my own health and well-being and being ruthless about it and figuring out how to do it is kind of what led me to want to understand the journey for myself, understand it for others. And so I started to research this intersection between stress, self-care, and growth for mothers. Now, as you shared, Jenny, 
as the business side of my business. And I still do that, right? It's now been over five years and I'm still sharing these stories and sharing this research and getting deeper and deeper into all of the internal barriers, right? What are the stories we tell ourselves that make it so hard? And then what are all the systems and societal barriers? You know, what is it about our culture, the culture of work, the way we're socially conditioned that makes it so hard? So I share those things with moms and and write a lot about that and talk a lot about that. But then on the allies at work side of my business, I started working with employers to create workplaces that are mom-friendly, caregiver-friendly, that actually allow you to be successful and have a life and manage kids and manage all those things that we are often managing in the bottom two-thirds. And it's been really a remarkable journey to try to teach these skills to managers and leaders and change the workplace while also being on this journey myself. I'm just going to share a little bit from the study on the pandemic that I started March 30th of 2020. And like many of us, I thought, oh, wow, this will be an interesting study for the next two or three weeks. (laughs) I just thought it would be a short little, hey, how's everyone doing in the pandemic? So of course, we're still in it. And now I'm in wave seven of this research. There are over 2,500 parents who've participated, overwhelmingly mothers. It's 96% moms. And this is actually from one of the, I think this is wave four or wave five, but it's an eye chart. You don't have to read all the details, but I think the net of it is everyone's doing more of everything because all the infrastructure that you may have had to manage your well-being, to make childcare happen, right? There's a huge childcare shortage in the U.S. And it was hard to get before, right? Reliable, affordable childcare was a bit like finding a unicorn, right? So childcare is harder. Navigating work life is harder. You know, everything that you do and how you move about your community is harder. So we're doing more of everything. And at the same time, self-care was one of the first things to go. I saw early in the study you know, mothers leaned very heavily into their roles as parents. And we're so good in a crisis, right? We lean into that parenting role, lean into supporting our communities, supporting the people around us. And it's around, it hovers between 75 and 80% of people in the study who say that they're doing terribly or not as well as usual at caring for themselves. And the reason that I shared this particular stat is because, again, back to the hierarchy, that it's really hard to change this. If you go onto your social media feed and you take a look at pictures and Facebook or Instagram, you know, or Twitter or whatever social spaces you're in, you're going to see people high-fiving you when you're doing all the stuff at the bottom part of the hierarchy, taking care of your kids, you know, working, doing stuff in the house or the home that you're in. Like people are going to say, yeah, And you don't see a lot of pictures of mothers taking space for themselves at the top. You don't see a lot of mothers relaxing. You'll you'll probably almost never see that, right? Or if you do, it's like once a year, there's some special girls trip or some rare outing somewhere. But we're not encouraged in our society. The, The mom job, 
right, is a big job. And we're encouraged to try to do all of it in a way that's unsustainable and harmful to our health and well-being. So you have to kind of think about your life differently. You have to allow yourself permission to use your own time because everyone around you, as much as they love you, they're not going to give you that permission. Uh, My husband's a lovely man, right? But our partners are not usually going to stop and say, guess what? You look tired. Can I help you? Why don't you sit down? That's not going to happen in most homes. And, you know, our children obviously are not in the position to do that, depending on the age and independence of your children. But value your own time and begin to have clarity on what your priorities are. There's a brilliant book by Tiffany Dufu called Drop the Ball. I interviewed her a while back, and it's an amazing book about just how to get out from under some of this juggle. And she has a concept in there that has stayed with me. It's what is your best, highest use? So I think about with my children, what is my best, highest use? Like I love teaching my children. I taught them both how to read. I taught my son when he was like two. And and by the time he was three, three and a half, he was a pretty decent reader. My daughter, it took longer. I started teaching her at two and a half. And we kind of culminated that journey when she was five which, you know, it it wasn't that long ago. She's in first grade now, but I love teaching my kids to read. That fills me up. But picking up Legos from in between the couch cushions uh, doesn't fill me up. (laughs) Uh, Doing all of the things like, you know, trying to reorganize the closet for the 55th time doesn't fill me up. So where do you spend your time, right? What does fill you up? So think about your permission and your time from that lens. And then time shift. I have all types of tools that I've used personally that I teach others to use that we could talk about, but it's still hard. Like the best to-do list in the world, the most organized app, the most slick calendar, none of those things will do it for you. You probably have to eliminate some things from your to-do list. You probably have to outsource or spouse source some things on your list and set some real hard boundaries for the people around you so they understand what you can and cannot do or what you will and will not do. And I'll just share one other piece before we kind of jump into discussion. Boundary setting is really hard, again, because we're conditioned not to set them, to be people-pleasing. And when I did research boundaries a few years ago, I just thought it was really interesting that context matters a lot. So for some people, setting boundaries at work is really easy because it's a more transactional relationship. For other people, setting boundaries at work is really hard. Or setting boundaries at work with a senior leader or with a manager is really hard, but setting boundaries with clients is easy. And for other people, it's the exact opposite. Some people, you know, the top things were really state of mind when people are feeling tired, overwhelmed, guilty, anxious, any of those things, it's harder to set boundaries. Context, like some people are really great at setting boundaries unless there's a very short timeline involved. So if they're under a lot of time pressure, they're not going to set the boundary. Or if it's a relationship, like there were a lot of people who had problems setting boundaries, and this is for me as well. My family of origin, I have a hard time setting boundaries with my parents and my sister. I have a much easier time setting boundaries with other people. So long story short, if you know what your triggers are, then you can start to come up with your talk track (laughs) for how to politely say no, whether it's at home, at work, with the people in your life. But that's a little bit of an intro 
to these concepts and how I kind of came to doing this work. I love the, the research aspect of it, that you are taking your skills as a researcher and applying it to a bigger framework for how this works for women. And also outsource versus spouse source. I have not heard that before, but I really enjoyed that. So that, how did you, is that, is that something that you came up with? I think I came up with it. I've never seen it anywhere else. I um, haven't either. <laughs> Outsource. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. There's a lot of talking right now about, uh, you know, invisible labor and the division of labor in homes. And we've seen that really blow up in everyone's face and in the pandemic as imbalanced. Um, There's also the idea that everyone's, we used to talk about work-life balance, right? That there was some sort of like mythical balance that existed out there. What I really enjoy about your framework is that it puts it into prioritization versus balance. Because what you said, like, there is no such thing as balance because it's a constant shift. It's constantly moving. So how can you have balance when something is unstable? Absolutely. It's unstable. And also it's, it's iterative, right? Because your needs change over time. Your children's needs change over time, right? As they grow. Your career needs change over time. If you're a caregiver for aging parents or other people as well, then your needs can change, your available space can change. So that's another, I think, important piece. Like we, I think not only is there no balance, but it's not like you can just kind of set it and forget it, right? Like you can't just say, oh, I've got a system at home and a division of labor at home. And it's like, we're done for the next 20 years until the kids go (laughs) off to college. Like it doesn't work that way. It does require constant revision and tweaking and examining. And if you don't feel good about how things are working, it's like totally okay and encouraged, I think, for your own mental health and physical health to like put the brakes on and say, you know what, we need to talk about how things are working at home, honey, or whoever <laughs> you are talking yeah. to. I, it's, this has all been so exacerbated in the pandemic. I mean, you know, the study with mm-hmm. three women who have left the workplace and, and just the overall burnout that's happening and the reshift of focus between where you are, where you want to work, how you want to work, your family needs, childcare. How do you see that playing out within your own community and the women that you work with? And, and the clients as well, the companies as well. How, how, what are you hearing from them? Absolutely. Well, it's a great question. I'll start with on the community side and with women. I mean, I think w- women are done. Um, like I think, we're, <laughs> I think we're, yeah, we're, raise we're your tired. hand. You agree, right? Like we're, we're tired. Uh, we we're done with everybody else's priorities. We're done with everyone else kind of trying to control our time and having frankly been gaslighted for the last, however many years or decades of your career being encouraged to believe that all the work happened in the office and that all of the career growth that came from all the hard work that you were doing had to happen if you were in the office or at the breakfast meeting or at the offsite. And, you know, now we've seen people can very productively work remotely. Granted, it's more difficult without childcare, but we have seen that this paradigm of the hard work the real work happens in the physical space of, of the office is right. It was, it was, it was never real. (laughs) And, 
so I think all of those things have changed this internal permission to rethink work life parameters, to rethink what is possible. And I've seen a lot of women in the mom's hierarchy of needs community really, frankly, just changing the rules. And if they can't renegotiate the rules with their current employer, then they will leave their current employer. More than half in the study are not committed to their jobs and either passively or actively looking to leave. And of that more than half, they want to set new boundaries and go into a place clean. You know, this is something I spoke with. There's, I interviewed some amazing moms as well. There was a woman I spoke with last year and we just talked about like, it's not just the bar that you set for yourself, but if you have a maternity leave and you go in your current workplace then people are measuring you against your pre-kids you. <laughs> and it's not fair, right? Like your available time is different. The way you have to work is different. Perhaps even the hours that you have to work are different. And what I now tell employers to your question there is that they have to recognize that, that people have different needs in their personal lives. And it's particularly stark for mothers that I think are, the least represented in leadership. So we don't have the allyship and the sponsorship at the top in a lot of organizations. And we're also the most <laughs> in demand in our homes, right? If you look at any research study, including mine, women are still overwhelmingly responsible for childcare and household work, the hands-on work and the emotional work of planning it. So if you kind of put those two things together, it means that you have to, you have to nurture this population differently. You have to create a work scenario that allows people to have room to get work done during the day versus having all the work happen after the kids are asleep or early in the morning. You have to give people space for deep work during the day. You have to give people the ability to have boundaries. I think managers and leaders have to proactively set boundaries. Like I've given wellness talks to large companies and people will private message me and say, you know, my manager's here and I love what you're saying, but they're still sending me messages at nine and 10 o'clock at night. What do I do? <laughs> and, and so then I call out in the meeting and I'll just say, Hey, someone anonymously sent me a note that they're still getting messages from you at nine and 10 at night. So guess what? Schedule send, right? You don't have to send, you can work at nine or 10 at night, but you don't have to send that message anymore at nine or 10 at night, you can schedule that to go the next business day. So I think the way leaders have to lead has changed. And this environment- It has to be thoughtful, right? It There's has to be mindfulness and thoughtfulness because this is a lesson I learned that I would, I work late at night and I would send the emails late at night. And I was told, I, I didn't even know about schedule send, but it's just the little in like how you want to intentionally- show people that you are thinking about them, their needs, their lives, because you're just sending the thing off because it's convenient and not thinking about how that impacts them when that lands in their inbox or they wake up in the morning and the stress that you put on that person. Exactly. Exactly. Or even the back-to-back -back meetings. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's harmful for people. Or time at five o'clock. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, and I tell managers that as well, like, you know what, don't schedule things early in the morning. Do not schedule things late in the day, like at five o'clock and do not schedule things during mealtimes when people 
what is traditional mealtimes, you know, depending on the geographic dispersion of your team, when you know there's a lot of people who have their children at home who don't have childcare, or frankly, they might want to take a nap or a walk or do something that fuels them for the rest of the day. What's hard is that it does feel like, well, I have two questions, but what I think was hard is that with people on different time zones and different places and everyone's got kids on different schedules, I have empathy for our managers who are going to try to figure out, okay, that leaves one hour a day when everyone can work because everyone's got, you know, they're across the world trying to work together now, especially if you're giving people the ability to work remotely then if you're scheduling on all of these different things, you're cutting into that day. So instead of working for everyone, now we're just going to be working 24 hours a day because all of a sudden you've got the ability to have your life scheduled around, but the expectation is the work still has to get done. So then you're now just, your job is, is it's continuous. Well, I mean, that's a whole other challenge. And, and you, you stated it really well, like the, the lines had blurred, right? The good thing about work from home is not having the same commute and constraints of what that entails, especially for mothers. But the lines being blurred has presented different challenges, right? The work-life separation isn't there. And it can feel, and it does feel for a lot of people, like they're working all the time. But, you know, I tell employers and I tell moms, like the expectations may not be reasonable under the current conditions. So for employers, it's like, you know what, if you used to tell people, hey, can I have this thing, that project, that presentation in two days, like make it two weeks now, give people lead time, allow people to schedule things in a way that works for their lives. And then on the, on the mom side, it's like, you know, ask what the deadline is. If you're getting a new assignment, say, you know what? I'm so excited about project A. This is really incredible. I love project A. But yesterday you gave me project B. And I thought that was a really incredible project too. Which one's more important? When should I do project A? To do project B justice, like we might have to push project A out by six weeks and have that negotiation if you have the psychological safety to do so. I have a question. I read an article, I think it was in the Times over the weekend. I put it on LinkedIn somewhere. But um, it was about hybrid work and the workplace and all these different companies that are doing it differently. And I think it was Google, but I might be wrong. They were saying, you know, we have a hybrid workplace, but the issue is that they think that people are going to wind up being mommy tracked in a certain way prioritization on in-person work and the people who show up in the office is going to lead to those people being promoted more and to just having higher performance ratings. And so if you're opting to then stay home with your family, men and women, because it could be daddy track too. I know a lot of men who have said, like, I'm not going back in. I like being home to pick up my kids. So if you're opting for that, is the, are you concerned about the fact that then that's going to just continue setting women back more because we're not going to have the op- same opportunities? Especially now that a lot of these big companies are like, well, you don't have to come, but. Yeah, well, you know, I think it places a lot of responsibility in the hands of the organization, the leadership and the managers to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, And I talk to organizations about that all the time. 
I think there are ways to be, first of all, very judicious and intentional about in-person time. You know, like don't have a meeting that's in-person if it doesn't need to be in-person, but a social outing or a team bonding outing, those are hard to do well on Zoom. Like that might be the time when you do in-person. And if you plan it with plenty of lead time and you do not have it first thing in the morning or on a Sunday or late at night, like make sure that it's an inclusive time slot and that the whole team can be there. If you really want to do in-person, use it sparingly and use it when it really matters and make sure people can come. So that's one strategy. If it's just day-to-day business and day-to-day meetings, again, I think a lot of those meetings don't necessarily have to be in person. But if there are people who are there to kind of pick up the hallway chatter, or they can have that like bonding conversation before the Zoom starts or before the meeting starts, I think it really, again, is incumbent upon the manager to say to others in the virtual room, like, hey, here's what we were talking about before we jumped on. What do you think? And to leave space for people who, and there's even like just neurodiversity in the workplace, right? There are some people who are very uncomfortable speaking up in a meeting or they don't necessarily jump into the conversation, like make space for those people, encourage them to share their opinion if everyone else has shared their opinions. I think there are ways to manage to ensure that there is inclusion in the work conversations, inclusion in the meetings, and inclusion in terms of whose ideas get prioritized. But it does require intention. It can't be the old way of doing business. Such a fascinating time, really is. I'd love for you to explain a tiny bit about your own community and what that is for women and how people could join to Absolutely. Very well, added to the second shift community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, it, I'm it be very complimentary for people because it's about, you know, finding the space to have all of the things. And a lot of that is about finding the ways in which you need to work right now. And our whole goal is to give people the optionality. Absolutely. Well, and I appreciate that. I've, you know, there are people in lots of different places and Mostly, I will send people like a very personal note every Saturday night with an intro of some story of something that happened in my life that turned on the light bulb around whatever topic I'm writing about for that week. And we periodically have live conversations and live events um, to discuss something. We've, we've done book discussions in the past. We've talked about the research. And so that has been the main interaction for the community. But I'm also planning a more like, you know, safe space, private space, digital home for people where we can have more ongoing conversation. It's, I think community is powerful because like we all feel very alone in these struggles, even though most mothers are facing them. And to your point, there are many, whether it's dads, whether it's people who are caring for elders or caring for a spouse, Like there are some very common themes in the caregiver experience, but there are some particular themes that resonate for mothers and someone else has figured it out, right? Like whatever the thing is that I'm struggling with this week, I know there's some other mother out there who's figured it out and having that conversation and having a place to have that conversation helps to ease a lot of, you know, the strain I think that we're all feeling right now. 
Additionally, Leslie, I hope that as you do more research and you, you're constantly finding data around these topics, you'll let me know. We'd love to help spread that word, the information out to our community and to the wider world as well. So thank you so much for being here, for joining us today. Thanks for all the work you do and for taking your time to speak to our Second Shift community. Thank you. Honored to be here and enjoy this conversation. Visit me on social, or if you have questions, you can always send me an email too. Happy to respond. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women.